Masechet Ta'anit Daf Lamed, and we'll continue to Lamed Aleph and hopefully complete the Masechet. Uh, we're starting on 29b uh, in the middle. We mentioned the opinion of Shemuel, Machloka between Rav and Shemuel, about Shavua uh, Shechalbo. Uh, the week during which Tisha B'Av occurs, everyone agrees that one may not take a haircut or launder from Shabbat, from Sunday until Tisha B'Av. But what about after Tisha B'Av? Rav said it's okay. Shemuel says even afterwards, the whole week has that level of mourning even after Tisha B'Av is finished. And then we brought a Braita, which seemed like a pretty conclusive proof against Shemuel, because the Braita says that if Tisha B'Av is on Sunday, then you're allowed to launder all the rest of the week. So after the Shabbat is totally good. So that definitely seems like a Tiyuvta di Shmuel. And in fact, Shmuel has no way of explaining that Braita. However, he does say, I can find another Braita, and this will be his answer. Amar lach Shmuel tana'ehi. It's a machloket tana'im already. Rav and Shmuel, me and you, we are, we are arguing on something that already the tana'im did. So I have support from a Tana that, in fact, even after Tisha B'Av, one may not launder take haircuts. Let's see. The Tanya, Tisha B'Av shechal yot b'Shabbat. If Tisha B'Av is on Shabbat, or or the day before Tisha B'Av is on Shabbat, either way, the fasting will be on Sunday. That ha- This happens often in our calendar. Uh, you can eat and drink as much as you want. You can have a giant meal like the meals of King Solomon when he was at his height. And uh, even though it's the day before Tisha B'Av, and usually that, that day we'll have a small meal. Nevertheless, because of Shabbat, Shabbat is more important. Okay, that's one law not related. Then it says, We made it says, and you also can't do these things of haircut and washing, um, uh, washing clothes from Rosh Chodesh until the fast day. So that seems to follow like Rav because until the fast day, but afterwards it would be okay. Rabbi Yudah Omer, Kol Chodesh Kolo Asur. Rabbi Yudah says the whole month of Av. Remember we said, And that means the whole month you can't do it. Even after Tisha B'Av, Rabban Shimon Ben Gamliel Omer, Eno Asur Ela Ota Shabbat Bilbad. Rashbag says that week, right from Shabbat till Shabbat, no matter what day Tisha B'Av is in the middle. So there you go. Shmuel can follow the opinion of Rashbag, and uh, he has a source too. All right, good. Now we have yet another Brayta uh, on this topic. V'Tanya Idach V'Noheg Ebel. We just, this is quoting again, Bimeir says, from Rosh Chodesh until the Tanit, not only do you not wa- uh, cut hair and wash clothes, you also act in a, in a way of mourning. The says the whole month, it's the same as here. Only that week, uh, one should act in, uh, in the ways of a mourner. Even though they disagree, they're all learning it from the same one pasuk. That because of their sins, Hashem is going to bring punishment and is going to cause uh, to stop all happiness on its holidays, its months, and its and its weeks. And so, 
Okay, the opinion of Rabbi Meir that says it's going to be from Rosh Chodesh until Tisha B'Av, that's when you should uh, have fasting, uh, uh, that's when you should have acts of mourning. He will learn it from the word Mehagah, Chagah, from the holiday. Well, Rosh Chodesh is, is a holiday. So that's, that's, it's, it's um, uh, emphasizing the beginning of it on the, on the new moon. And the one who says that the entire month is prohibited, right? The second opinion, uh, which was Rabbi Yehuda, he'll learn it from the word Hocha, right? I'm going to cause the whole, a whole month, not the whole year, but a whole month to be, uh, to be in mourning. That says the whole week during which Tisha uh, B'Av is in the middle, that whole week we don't take haircuts and uh, and um, don't wash and don't wash clothes. Then he'll learn that from the word Shabbata. Okay, good. So they all learn take one to pick one word from the pasuk to learn their halacha. Amar what are we going to do? Halacha kiraban Shimon ben Gamaliel. That's the halacha from the entire week. Amar halacha Rava also said the law is like to be meir from Rosh Chodesh until Tisha B'Av. So Rav said two things, right, that don't actually um, work well with each other. So what does he mean by saying that? He meant, he means the leniencies of both, uh, which would mean that it's uh, limited to the week and also limited to until Tisha B'Av. And that's exactly what we do, right? We have extra laws of mourning. Uh, we don't wash clothes from Shabbat until the day of Tisha B'Av. We also add the 10th, as we saw uh, before, but that's not related to this discussion. And you need to say both of these statements. If he only said the law is like Rabbi Meir, I would have uh, thought that maybe it means you have to start from Rosh Chodesh. And that's not true. From Rosh Chodesh until that first, that, that the Shabbat before, that's okay. That's why he says, that you don't have to start from Rosh Chodesh. If he said, I would have thought even after Tisha B'Av until the next Shabbat also is prohibited and you have to be in mourning. So to limit it, the limitations of each of them, and that's the most lenient opinion. So he's not actually following any single one, but taking the leniencies of all, he says, that's what the Mishnah means, and that is the Halakha Lema'aseh. Good. The Mishnah mentioned that the day before Tisha B'Av, one should not eat two cooked dishes. That's a lavish meal. And although, yes, you can eat and you have to eat to prepare for Tisha B'Av, it should be a simple meal. Rav Yudah says this doesn't mean the entire day of the eighth of Av uh, that you can't ha- eat, but rather from the, the, the second six hours of the day, from noon until the, um, until the fast starts. But the first, the morning of the eighth of Av, that you can eat as much as you want. You could have lots of dishes, a nice meal. Rav Yudah also said something else that seems to be different, that is different, uh, that it, this only applies that you can have one dish uh, during the meal that is that you is the stop, the concluding meal, the last meal you have before you start fasting. Whenever it is during the day has to be a simple meal. But if it's the second to last meal or anything earlier, then you can eat as much as you want. 
Okay. Now, what does he mean by saying these two things? Well, you know, it's the same methodology. It's a type of, it's a way of speaking. And uh, we're going to explain the difference between them by taking the leniencies of both. So uh, you have to say both. If I only said the last meal, what if my last meal is in the morning? I'm going to be busy. I'm not going to, I don't, I don't have that much food. I'm going to eat my last meal uh, at 10 a.m. All right. So does that meal have to be uh, have to be a simple meal? No, it's okay, right? Because only if it's in the afternoon. And if I only said from noon and on, I would have said even in my second to last meal, let's say at one o'clock, I want to have a meal. And then again, at five o'clock, I'm going to have another meal. So at one o'clock, it's the afternoon. Do I have to eat a simple meal? No, because it's not the last meal. You can eat as much as you want, many dishes, and only the very last meal, that's the one that is symbolically preparing us for going into the mode of uh, Tisha B'Av. That one has to be a simple meal. Only the last one. So therefore, only if it's the last one and in the afternoon, that's when you have to have only one dish. All right, even though we reconciled it, we do have two baraitot. Uh, um, that support the first or and second language here. Tanya Kedishna Batra, we support the second one, right? The second one that says the last meal, whenever that last meal is going to be. Uh, if you're eating a meal on the day before Tisha B'Av, if you're going to planning to eat yet another meal on that day, you can have meat and wine. Okay, this is not the custom today because we don't have meat and wine already from uh, Rosh Chodesh. But the, the Gemara didn't have that. We're not talking about that opinion. Uh, so um, with only the last, the very last meal, you cannot have meat or wine. But the second to last meal, it's fine. But if you're not planning on having another meal during the day, then that last meal, you can cannot have meat or wine. And there is also another Braita that emphasizes the other, the, the first opinion of the afternoon. So the day before Tisha B'Av, don't have two, two cooked dishes and don't have wine, uh, meat or wine. Rashpag is more lenient than Tanakama, and he doesn't say you have to have only one, just do something different. Whatever you used to, do something less. What does that mean exactly? To do something less, to do something different. If usually you usually have two dishes, then eat one. But maybe if you usually have 10 dishes, then just take away a few, uh, have only five. If usually you have a lot of company and you eat together with 10 people, then this day, eat together with five people and that'll feel lonely. Usually you have 10 cups of wine, have only five cups of wine. In other words, you can have wine in your la- in the, even in the last meal. Just have less than usual. All this is only true in the afternoon. Uh, but before noon, it's permitted. So you see this paraita is following the first uh, language of Rav Yehuda that emphasizes the afternoon. Well, now, even though we actually reconciled the two Rav Yudas, so we could reconcile also these two baraitot, they're just teaching 
different aspects of uh, aspects of the limitation. All right, now that we're on the roll with Baraitot regarding the subject, we're going to quote yet another couple of Baraitot that fill in even more details. Tanya Idach. The day before, don't have two meals. Like we said before, and now we learn that this is Rabbi opinion, no meat and no wine on the day before Tisha B'Av. Chachamim say, just do something different. Here it was quoted in the name of Rashbag, so now we learn it in the name of Chachamim, and just have less meat and less wine. How exactly do that? Usually you have, it seems like a lot of uh, meat. I think uh, some estimates are like 17 ounces of meat. Um, oh, so if you're used to having a big steak, so then have half a steak. If you have a whole uh, liter of wine, so then have less. You should have half, half, um, uh, half that amount. So, but if usually you don't have any uh, wine, then you're not allowed to have any wine at all here. You can't, you can't increase what you're usually used to, uh, which shows that uh, in, in truth, enjoyment and suffering is relative, right? Everybody... Uh, has uh, whatever you're accustomed to, you're fine with. And so as long as you change from what you're accustomed to, you'll feel some amount of suffering. Rashbag adds that if you usually have a radish or some salted dish at the end of the meal, that's okay. You can have that also at the end of the meal of Seudat Mafseket. Tanya idach, and now yet another baraita koshu mishum tisha be'av asur lechol basar vasur lishtot yain vasur lirchotz. Any meal that is because of tisha be'av, in other words, any meal that you're eating specifically because you want to prepare for the fast. So this would for sure apply to the last meal that you're eating, and um, um, uh, so it's just a, okay, it seems to be another way of saying that. Uh, you're not allowed to have meat and wine, and also you're not allowed to wash. Uh, so the prohibition of washing uh, starts even before sunset. You have to stop washing. Already that meal, you're entering into a sad morning phase. And since, you know, when you wash, you feel good, uh, even uh, for a while after you wash, you still feel uh, nice and clean. So the washing has to stop from before. Any meal that is not because of Tisha B'Av, like you're having breakfast at, on uh, Erev Tisha B'Av. You always have breakfast. It's not, it's not, you're not thinking about yet that I'm eating this, so I'll be full for the fast. In that case, you're allowed to have meat and wine, and, but you're still not allowed to wash. According to that, you wouldn't be allowed to wash a lot. Uh, there are some versions that says, which would make, seem to make more sense here, that is, since you're allowed to have meat and wine, you're also allowed to wash. Um, yeah, and this would be any kind of, uh, you know, even washing cold, washing your hands, washing your face. Um, you want to wash up before the meal, after the meal. So according to those versions, it would be permitted if, as long as it's not the last meal in preparation. So that's Tanakama. Rabbi Ishmael, Rabbi Yose Omer, Mishum Aviv. So, in other words, Rabbi Yose said this. Kol lechol basar, he says, as long as you are allowed to eat meat, you also are allowed to wash. Uh, so, there's no, no problem of, uh, of, of bathing 
Um, and uh, I mean, you know, we um, we don't bathe in hot the that entire week. So um, for for us, this would mean in cold. But the best, the same point. As long as you can eat meat, you can also wash, and all that is okay. And um, right. In fact, you know, we permit washing until until the fast actually starts. Okay, Teno, and maybe and maybe that's what he maybe that's what he means. Uh, here, right. Uh, if, maybe he follows the opinion that said before that you're allowed to eat some meat even uh, at the last meal. Uh, so we probably we probably are following this that you're allowed to you know wash your hands and face and all that uh, until the fast starts. Anything that a mourner um, um, must refrain from. Also, everyone must refrain from doing on Tisha B'Av. For example, Asur Bachila Ubishtiya, not allowed to eat and drink. Now, actually, a mourner is allowed to eat and drink. Uh, so, this is something added on Tisha B'Av, but the rest of them are the same. Ubesicha, uh, anointing oneself, wearing the shoes, Betashmisha Mita, using the bed in marital relations. And yet another thing um, is uh, learning Torah, reading Tanakh, or uh, uh, reciting Mishnah or Talmud or any Midrash, or whether it's Halakha or Agadah, learning of Torah is prohibited to a mourner and also prohibited on Tisha B'Av as those who follow Dafyamino, right? Tisha B'Av is a difficult day because you might, the Dafyami doesn't stop, even though Tisha B'Av, we cannot learn that Daf, so we got to learn it before. Here's what you can do, is you can read some section of Tanakh or, or Mishnah or Gemara that you're not, that you're not used to. Um, or uh, read Tanakh or right, study Mishnah in a place that you're not accustomed to study because in that case, it won't be enjoyable if it's something that you know and you've read and so, you know, reading it again and studying it more is fun. If you just open up to some, you know, some perek in uh, in uh, Tereasar, right? Or something in Masechet, uh, in Taharot, that you don't know so well, and uh, you're, not, you're not used to studying, and now you're going to break your teeth on it, not understanding anything, and then that is not enjoyable, and so that is permitted. So that's very interesting. And also you can uh, study, uh, read Echa, you can read Iyob, and you could read the negative sections in Yirmiyah. There are some positive sections in Emiyah too, uh, which is not allowed. The schools, the elementary schools, are closed and they don't study. And all this is because Hashem's laws are, are, are straight, are right, and they rejoice the heart. Learning Torah is fun, uh, right? You get together and, uh, and you study and you read and all that is wonderful. Okay, we learned from here also that schools were open in the summer. Right, because Tisha B'Av, right? Although only that day they're closed. The rest of the summer, right? The kids learn Torah. Okay. The Biuda Omer, so all that was Tanakh Kama. The Biuda says, Af no kore b'makom shenora gil He doesn't agree with this uh, leniency 
even a thing, even a place of Tanakh that you're not used to, you're still not allowed. And you're not allowed to uh, study Mishnah in a place that you're not used to. Even that is enjoyable. You're learning something new. Look, I wonder what this means. He agrees that you can read the negative sections of Tanakh. And again, the, uh, the kids do not uh, study because learning Torah is happy. All right. And now the Mishnah continues and says, uh, We don't have meat and wine. When it says you can't have meat and wine, before Tisha uh, Be'av, uh, but you are allowed to have salted uh, meat, meaning like uh, um, beef jerky, um, and uh, wine from the press, meaning wine that is not yet fermented, grape juice. Now that is okay. That's not, that's not enjoyable like uh, fresh meat and old wine. Basar maliach ad kama. Now what's the definition of salted meat? That would, say, that would mean that now it's salted and it's permitted. Um, well, as long as it's like, it's like a shalamim, then it's considered meat. After that, it, it is uh, considered salted. Now, a shalamim offering has to be eaten uh, during a day, a night, and the next day. That's it. You have two days and one night in the middle to eat the shalamim. In other words, the shalamim, you want to you wanna consume it. And since you can't consume it yourself, you can invite friends and family and poor people and all eat the shalamim together. What you cannot do with the shalamim, I mean, after that, they have refrigerators, so it's going to go bad unless you salt it. So what you can't do with the shalamim is salt it, turn it into salami, and then eat it next year. No, that's not the way. You have to eat it fresh and, that, and make a big festival out of it. So anything that um, can can be in two days, that's considered fresh, as if it's any time after that, and it's already salted uh, for long-term storage, then that is permitted to eat uh, before uh, the day before Tisha B'Av. And what is the definition of grape juice versus wine? As long as it's still in the process of fermenting. How long is that? That is three days. Um, for three days, the wine is in that process of fermenting. And during that time, even if you leave it open, it's still permitted. If you take wine after that, then we're afraid a snake will come and drink some of the wine and put venom in it. So anything that does, any liquids that are left open are a problem were in those days. Um, however, during even if you leave it open, even in those days when there were snakes around, um, that while it's fermenting, it heats up and the snakes aren't going to drink from it. And so there, and therefore we see from here that it's, it is in fact three days. So you can have uh, grape juice uh, even up to three days during the day before Tisha B'Av. Amar Yehuda Amarav, Kachay min agoshel, Rabbi Yehuda b'Rabbi Eli. Erev Tisha B'Av, Evin lo patcha reva b'melach, ve'yoshev ben tanor l'chirayim, ve'ochel v'shotea aleha kiton shel ma'im, v'domei kemi shemetom mutal lefanav. Okay, this is very interesting because you have a whole bunch of laws and then a story. And often when you have laws and then a story, uh, sometimes the story is an example of the law. Uh, sometimes there's, there, there's a difference. Sometimes it's an exception. And so while here we saw all the ways in which you can minimize the morning and you can get away, you can have some salami and you can have uh, grape juice and you can have like, you know, a very fine meal. 
uh, pretty much. Nevertheless, um, uh, many sages would go beyond the law. I think that's what the point of the story here is that um, they would bring him some stale bread, like dry, uh, uh, dried out bread with a little, with some salt, and he would sit uh, between the oven and the stove. That's a place that was all, there was soot and, you know, and dirt, a dirty place, not a honorable spot. And he would eat and he would drink a jug of water. That's it. Bre- stale bread with a little salt and water, the most basic meal you can think of. And, uh, and he was, his, his demeanor was as if he had a dead relative in front of him, not yet buried with the most acute uh, uh, part of mourning. Uh, and during which also we don't have meat and wine when someone is on 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 end, and so that's what he did. Even though you can find some loopholes to this, but he um, he he went beyond the letter and uh, was uh, in extreme mourning during the meal before Tisha B'Av. Tenan Hatam. Um, I think you know nowadays also we have uh, you know people look for le- for all kinds of loopholes. If you have leftovers from Shabbat of meat, then you can eat it. But you know we have, we cook so much that we have leftovers till Thursday, and um, you know so if you want to find loopholes, you can. But uh, maybe we should learn from the Bari and really feel a sense of sadness of mourning uh, during those days before Tisha B'av. Okay. Now regarding going to work on Tisha B'Av, there are some places, some cities had a custom that they went to work. And if you do have that custom, so go, you can follow. If you live or, or find yourself in a place where they, people do not go to work on Tisha B'Av, then you should not go to work. No matter where, in any city, even if most people are going to work, should be extra machmir and not go to work. By the way, you learn from here that even had jobs, and otherwise they did go to work on a regular day. Um, but they should, we should want to take it seriously. We want to really feel the, the, the morning. We want to spend the day in tefillah and reading Echa and making teshuvah. And so, don't go to work and distract yourself. Think about the day. He says, everyone should act like a tamid chacham. We saw way in the beginning of the Masechet, like on, I think, the Yud, uh, that um, it's a questionable whether someone can make himself like an individual. Right? Regarding the first fast, the first three fasts, this is only the individual uh, sages uh, would fast on those days. And over there, there was a machloket. Not everybody, you can't just say, oh, I'm, I'm special. I'm, the, I'm, I'm like one of the, uh, the leading sages. Uh, but So for that, it's questionable. But for this, he says, yes, uh, everyone can uh, go this extra mile and try not to go, try to not go to work on this day. It won't, it won't be considered like uh, you're, you think highly of yourself. It's better. That also supports um, what we just said. He's giving a warning. Anyone who treats Tisha B'Av in a light way, they say, oh, it's only the Rabbanan, it's not so important. No, it's the same as if you're eating on Yom Kippur. Okay, not literally the same. Yom Kippur, obviously, the punishment is, it is the Oraita, and the punishment is greater. But nevertheless, um, this is the national day of mourning. 
and you're excluding yourself. We saw before all uh, what the rabbi said of, about those who exclude themselves from the community when everyone else is suffering and mourning. Rebekah also wants to emphasize to not go to work. If you go to work, oh, I have to go to work. I have to, you know, make more money. So it's not, that working is not even going to help you. One will not see blessing from the work of Tisha, uh, that one does on Tisha B'Av. Similarly, anyone who goes and does work on Tisha B'Av and isn't mourning with the community, right? He's, uh, if you're sitting in the, in the store or out in the field doing things, you're not thinking about Tisha B'Av and therefore you're not mourning, with, uh, mourning for Jerusalem. That person will not merit to see the joy of the redemption of Jerusalem. Right, rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all those who love rejoice for her, all who mourn for her. Only those who mourn for her will merit to rejoice with her. We learn from this that anyone who mourns over Jerusalem will merit to see its joy, and anyone who does not mourn will not merit to see its joy. Another Braita uh, that supports this. Anyone who eats and drinks on Tisha B'Av, it is like uh, they, we apply the Pasuk to them that those whose iniquities are upon their bones because the terror of the mighty in the land of the living so maybe alas motam, you know, the way that they're feeding themselves, and uh, so they will come to uh, to this to this negative um, the, the curse of this negative pasuk. Okay, interesting how they put together, kind of weave together the eating and drinking and the working, uh, because uh, it seems that if uh, to really concentrate on the day, uh, one needs to minimize in the amount of that one is going to work. Okay, the biuda hamita. One must turn the bed over. This was an ancient mourning custom that they flipped the bed over, um, all the beds. And the Chachamim did not said, no, that's true for a mourner, but not on Tisha B'Av. You don't flip the bed over. Tanya, Amru lo Biuda, didvarecha ubarot menikot mate alehen. So the Chachamim told Biuda, what about those who are pregnant or nursing? Should they flip their beds over and they sleep on the floor? Pregnant women sleeping on the floor? It's very uncomfortable, maybe even dangerous. We can't impose that upon them. I didn't mean everyone. I meant anyone who can. If you can sleep on the floor, then do it. If you can't for whatever reason, then you don't have to. agrees that if you can't sleep on the floor, you don't have to flip the bed over. And Chamim agree with Biuda that if you can, and uh, you know you're not going to uh, develop. Uh, you know, back pain from it, then you should. So now it looks like they actually agree. Anyone who can should sleep on the floor, and anyone who can't uh, sleep in the bed. So my benai, what's the difference between them? We're talking about the other beds in the house, right? There, um, that what they agree on is the your bed that you sleep in 
If you can, flip it over, sleep on the floor, otherwise not. But what about the other beds? When the time of mourning, in that house, we turn over all the beds in the house. It's like uh, the house of mourning. And so we go that extra mile. Do we have to do that on, on Tisha B'Av? Rabbi Yoda says, yes, Chachamim say no. Right. In fact, regarding a mourner, we turn over all of the beds. Mm, um, uh, by the way, uh, th- this would mean that even people coming to visit uh, would not have a couch or a bed to sit on. Uh, they would sit on the floor with the mourners, which was the original custom. And you're coming to uh, em- em- empathize with the mourner and sitting on the floor with them. Uh, but today that custom has stopped. Uh, people uh, are superstitious. That if you sit on the floor, you'll become a mourner. So now only the mourners sit on the floor. Says, we follow the Chachamim, and no, the Chachamim did not agree to the Biuda at all. Uh, even if you're able to sleep on the floor, there's no need to turn over the beds on Tisha B'Av. This is only a custom for Avel, not a custom for Tisha B'Av. And so therefore, we don't do that. Um, nowadays, we don't do this This particular way of uh, turning the beds over. We don't do it at all. Maybe our beds are different from their beds. There's another reason uh, that's cited because um, there was, a, 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 witch, there was a, a practice of witchcraft that was like this. And in order not to even look like we are doing witchcraft, this practice of turning the beds over was stopped. Mishnah continues. Amar Ban Shimon ben Gamliel. Lo hayu yamim tovim liYisrael kachamishasan beav uchiyom akipurim. After a whole masechet of uh, of talking about tragedies and fasting and mourning, we end with on a happy note that there was no no better no happier days for Israel like uh, Tu Beav and Yom Kippur. Now, if you look at the Mishnah itself. And uh, even in the manuscript of the Mishnah, which I conveniently have here, it says, um, mm-hmm. it says the word she, which means that there were no happier days because on those days we have been not. Um, the daughters of Israel of Yerushalayim would go out, and this was a day when lots of shiduchim were made and everyone got married. So these are two happy days because. Those are days in which they would go and meet their spouses. However, it looks like the Gemara did not have the sheen. And therefore, they're saying as follows, these Tubiav and Yom Kippur were happy days. And then aside, and then a separate thing, on those days, because they were already happy days, everyone, the girls would, everybody would be dancing. The women would be dancing, and uh, they would, uh, and the men would meet them, and so they 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 uh, 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 celebrated these days because they were already happy. They weren't happy because they were dancing. They were dancing because it was happy. Okay, it makes a difference of a sheen. Um, okay, besides that, this manu- this is the Kaufman manuscript says that on those days the sons of Yerushalayim, Bnei Yerushalayim, would go out in white clo- borrowed clothing. Uh, so that no one would be embarrassed, and they did tevilah on everything. And then it says, and the daughters of Israel would go out, and they would dance in circles in the vineyard. So the women are dancing either way, but according to this, it's the men that are wearing the white clothing, which is, uh, which is an interesting variant. Okay, so now the Gemara, based on that, says, what, what, is, what was so happy about these days? Assuming that they were already happy days before the custom started, 
of it being Shidduch Day. Bishlama Yom Akipurim Ishum Deit Besedicham Mechila. We understand why Yom Kippur is a happy day, even though it's a very serious day for sure. But ultimately, we know that um, when we when we pray properly, that there will be according to one opinion, just Yom Kippur by itself is a powerful day, and um, and forgiveness is given, and it's also the day on which the second pair of tablets was uh, was given, right? Uh, we already learned before that on Tisha B'Av, Moshe came down with the first set of tablets and broke them. That was precisely 80, Tisha B'Av is precisely 80 days before Yom Kippur. So Moshe, at that point, went back up and prayed, right, for 40 days for forgiveness. And after that, Hashem forgave them, he had to get the second luchot. So that starts another 40 days to receive the second luchot, and he comes down on Yom Kippur, and that's why Yom Kippur is on Yom Kippur. So that is a very happy day, and this is important that uh, we should treat Yom Kippur n- not only as a serious day, but also as a day of, uh, of uh, joy. What happened on Tu Be'av? That that was a happy day. It was a day in which the, the tribes were permitted to marry each other. Okay, we're going to see two opinions about this when this happened. Um, that there was some point in time in which the different tribes refused to marry each other. The first explanation is it happened during the time of the Benot Selofchad. Benot Selofchad, since they had no brothers, they were allowed to inherit land. But then the rest of the tribe of Menashe said, wait a second, these daughters of Selofchad are going to marry, if they marry outside of the tribe of Menashe, then that their land, their inheritance will go to another tribe and we will lose out on our tribe's uh, allotment. And so uh, Moshe said, you're right. And therefore, Benos can only marry within the tribe of Menashe. Okay, so that was a limitation. Now, uh, the truth is that that only applied to them. It also applied to any other time when there were no sons and women uh, and, and the daughters inherited that they would have to marry within the tribe. Uh, but for some reason, the Gemara is assuming that this was expanded at some time and the tribes did not marry each other at all. They didn't want to share uh, resources. However, one day they said, you know what? It's allowed. And how did they allow it? What, what did they find in the Pasuk to permit it? When the, when, uh, when Moshe tells them the prohibition, it says, he told, you may not marry out. But that's only that generation, a next generation could, which actually makes a lot of sense, right? If marry um, men within the tribe and they have sons, so those sons will follow the father's tribe. And then those sons could go and marry someone outside the tribe because that woman will come in to the tribe and they will go to their sons. Um, and so uh, this was a, this was a, a limited uh, uh, problem. And uh, when they realized that, they said, oh, this was a happy day. When did they make that dirasha and permit them to marry uh, out? That was on to Be'av. Okay, so that's the first possibility. The second one is, Amar of Yudah, Yosef, Amar of Nachman, Yom Shehutar Shevet Binyamin, 
לבוא בקהל שנאמר ואיש ישראל נשבע במספר לאמור איש ממנו לא ייתן ביתו לבנימין לאישה. אוקיי, this story was in fact a nation, a, a tribe wide ban against marriage, against marriage. If you remember the terrible tragic story of Pilegesh Begiv'ah And because, uh, because the people in Giv'ah from the tribe of Binyamin did a terrible thing, all B'nai Israel came and they wiped out the, the city, and, uh, 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 particularly the women of the city. And then the men who, were survived, who survived had no woman to marry. And they made a vow and they said, they made a vow at Mispan, they said, no tribe is going to give our daughters to the men of Binyamin to be a wife. And because of that, Binyamin, the men of Binyamin, there were no women and they weren't allowed to marry anybody else. So the whole tribe would then disappear. And so then they felt bad. This is what are we going to do? We don't want the whole tribe to disappear. As bad as it is what they did, we don't want to completely wipe them out. So what did they do? So now they permitted it. If you look in the last uh, uh, prakim of Shoftim, you see that they actually, they went and they found, and that there was, uh, because of some other problem, there was some, some woman that, from uh, the other side of the Jordan that had no men, so Zoe okay, could marry them. And then this is really interesting. The very last part of Shoftim, it says, you know what? Go, they told these men who didn't have any wives, any of these men from Binyamin, go to Shiloh. When the women are dancing in the vineyards, go and take, uh, take whoever you want. And, uh, you know, we, we, can't, we can't permit it because we made a vow, but just go and do it. And it sounds like take them by force, which is just a crazy, terrible story. So that was a terrible story. This Gemara is saying that At some point, they realized that the vow doesn't apply. And how did they realize that? My derush amarab mimenu, velomi banenu, it just says, none of us will take. We only made the vow for us, for our generation, but our children, they're allowed to take. And therefore, the next generation, they can go and take one of those, they could give their daughters. And therefore, from ever on, from that generation on, everything would be permitted. Now, this is not really the Peshat of the Pasuk, but I think that what, they are, what the rabbis are doing here is they're kind of making a tikkun, right? They're saying this is what they should have done, right? They should have found some way of uh, getting out of that vow rather than uh, uh, instructing the men to go and take by force the women who were dancing in the vineyards. Okay, um, I think also that this entire practice of the women going out and the dancing in the vineyards and the men going and choosing um, was itself a kind of tikkun of what happened at the end of Shoftim, because in our case, in the Mishnah, what would be done every year wasn't by force. Uh, obviously, they would uh, go and the families would meet and they would you know, have to agree on the terms and uh, only with the acceptance Of the, of the men and of the women and of their families. Um, this was just a way to, to meet. And the women were saying, we're inviting the men, come, you know, I'm, I'm available. Um, I'm, I'll agree to go out with you. I'll agree now, I'll agree to go out with the other person. Um, so this, the whole practice in this Mishnah is definitely uh, based on what we find in the Pelegish Begivah story, but everything in that story is just terrible. And uh, this is a way of making it better. All right. Amar Rabah Bar Bar Chana Amar Biochanan Yom Shekalu Bo Mete Midbar. No, so this is now another opinion altogether. What happened on Tubav? Not what we just said that uh, the we, we found a way for the men to marry. 
um, outside the Shevet, but rather that's the day on which those who were uh, decreed to die in the desert stopped dying for 40 years. Uh, the, uh, every year, uh, the um, men would die on Tisha B'Av, and then on Tu B'Av, that year, they realized, look, nobody died. There's a whole midrash about this, how they would dig, everybody would dig a grave and lie in the grave and uh, wait, and then they, they would get up. But that year, they said, ah, even after a few days, maybe there was a miscalculation. No, Tu B'Av came, nobody died. They said, oh, that's it, the decree is done. So they celebrated. And we learn further that um, while the while the, the, the men were dying out in that generation, Hashem did not speak to Moshe. Only after, because the pasuk says, when all the men of uh, of uh, of uh, age that could fight finished dying, then Hashem spoke to Moshe, right? Then uh, to me came the dibur before that, no. Um, in fact, if you look at Tanakh, there was communication between Hashem and Moshe in stories in between, like in uh, Korach. Uh, but yeah, I guess you have to say that the that communication was not quite on the level of this uh, intimate by Daber Hashem Elai, particularly to Moshe, it was uh, more of a more of a general type of communication. Nice. Ula Amar Yom Shebitel Hoshea Bin Ben Ela Peros Diot Shehoshiv Yadov Am Ben Nevat Ala Derachim Shelo Yalu Yerushalayim La Regel. Ula said, No, Tubav. Maybe he's adding. Tubav is celebrating yet something else. Hoshea Ben Ela, one of the kings of uh, of uh, of the north, uh, although not a very good king, but better than others. And the, the guards that we mentioned uh, before, that Yeruvam ben Nevat, Yeruvam ben Nevat, when he split the northern kingdom off from the south, he put guards so that no one could go to the south to Yushalayim. He, 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 he didn't allow anyone to go to the Bet HaMikdash so that they wouldn't be um, allied with the south. But Hoshea ben Elah, he took away those guards. So now every, people who want to go to Yushalayim can. He didn't get rid of the Abu Dazarah in the north, but at least he did this. And so this was a positive day, and that was Tubav. He says he's pro-choice, right? If you wanna, if you wanna go to Yerushalayim, you can. If you wanna do the, go to the golden calves, you can too. Uh, so it wasn't 100%, but at least it was good. Rav Matna Amar Yom Shenitenu Haruge Betar Matana says something else happened on Tubav. It was the day on which those who were slain at Betar were permitted to be buried. This is during the Bar Kokhva revolt. Uh, the Emperor Hadrian uh, made many different types of persecution against the Jews. One of them is that those who died uh, were not allowed to be buried, which is an even you know, more disgraceful thing than, than, um, uh, 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 than, um, uh, than anything to, for, for, uh, for people not to be able to have a proper burial. But eventually, uh, after Emperor Hadrian died, then the next emperor says, okay, you can bury them. And that was a great comfort. And that happened on Tuba'av. On that very day, the sages Ayavne said, we should be so happy about this. We add another berachat to the berachat amazon, hatob used to be three berachot, and now we say four berachot. Thank you to Hashem who is good and does good. Hatob shelo esrichu v'metiv shentulu likpura. Why the double language? Hashem is good in that 
they did not uh, uh, smell and decompose that whole time. Uh, and uh, Hashem does good that now we can bring them to burial. Yet another thing that happened on Tuba'av is every year on that day, they would stop chopping down trees to uh, donate to the Mizbeach. We know that you can only burn, you know, wood only burns well when it's dried out. And for the Beit HaMikdash, you had to have only dry wood, uh, wet wood, uh, worms come in, it. you're not allowed to have worms in there. And so, therefore, you would only cut down wood to use on the Mizbeach in the heat of the summer when you could put out the wood and it would dry out very well. Tisha B'Av and on, now the day starts getting shorter and the sun is not in its full strength. So on Tu B'Av, sorry, on Tu B'Av, that's when they completed the season of the of, of preparing wood for the Mizbeach. And since that's a wonderful mitzvah to prepare wood, to donate to the Mizbeach, and now we, you know, we worked hard for a long time doing that, and Tuba'av, we finished and we have enough wood to last us until we start again. That was a happy day also. magal. Uh, that day was called the, the day of the breaking of the sickle. Because uh, they, they could break the sickle. We don't have to use it anymore. We're not cutting down any more trees. Uh, so from then on, one who increases will increase. Increase what? The Gemara doesn't say, but the commentaries say those who increase studying Torah at night. Since the days are getting longer and longer, look, during the day, people are busy, they're out in the field, but at night, you can't do any work. So uh, take advantage and learn Torah at night. All you need is a little candle. So though whoever can uh, increase Torah learning should increase, and one who doesn't will be gathered. Same word. And what does it mean will be gathered? Rav Yosef says, I think it's funny that Rav Yosef is talking about what the word Yosef and Yasef mean. Uh, it says it means that his mother will bury him. He'll die young uh, in the, in the, uh, within the lifetime of his mother. And so therefore, learning Torah at night, very important. Finally, we get to the end of the Mishnah that talks about on these days that the daughters of Yerushalayim would go out in white borrowed clothes on Tuba'av and dance in the vineyards. Why did they have borrowed white clothing? That nobody should come with very fancy clothing, another one with all disheveled rags, and then there's uh, then they 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 make them they feel jealous, and everybody's going to pick the one with the nice clothing. So therefore, everyone's borrowing clothing, so you don't it's like a uniform, and nobody is judged by what they wear. So who would they borrow from? Well, whatever status you usually were, you go down one. If you were a princess, then you borrow from the daughter of the Kohen Gadol. Bat Kohen Gadol, Bat Segan. The daughter of the Kohen Gadol will borrow from the vice Kohen Gadol's daughter. Bat Segan, mi Bat Meshuach ben Chama. The vice Segan's daughter will borrow from the daughter of the Kohen who was in charge during war. When you go out to war, a special Kohen goes out and gives them a speech and encouragement. Bat Meshuach ben Chama, mi Bat Kohen Hejot. 
and then uh, that Kohen's daughter will borrow from a regular Kohen's daughter. And Israel, the low class, that's us, um, will borrow from each other. And that way, someone who had, doesn't have any, any, any uh, uh, extra white garment, doesn't have the special, sounds like this was a, you know, a nice, a nice dress that uh, not everybody could afford. So there's always someone that you can borrow from. Um, maybe from someone who's already married and uh, they don't need it, or someone who has two. And so everyone has and no one is embarrassed. You have to put all of these white dresses in the mikveh. And he says, even if it's folded and put in a box, in other words, you know that it didn't become tameh, right? It was, it, was, uh, it was tahor and we put it away. Nevertheless, take it out and and put it in the mikveh again. Now, one reason is because maybe some of them are worn by a woman who uh, uh, who is uh, who is tameh, and so we don't want to embarrass who's tameh, who's tahor. Yerushalmi gives another reason altogether, which is that if it's all nice and folded in the in the box, and you're you know waiting to use it for a special occasion, then you can say, I don't want to lend it out because look, I put it away so nicely. So we say, you know what, all of them, you have to take them out and wash them anyway. You know, put them in the mikveh. So now they're all they all look the same. None of them are going to be. Uh, nice and folded and ironed, and so everyone will then uh, be more willing to lend them out, and they all look the same. And so the daughters of Israel of, of Yerushalayim would go out and they'd be dancing in the vineyards, and anyone who, any men who didn't have a wife, they would go there to uh, find a wife and dating. It was a dating site, literally the vineyard. Uh, in the Mishnah, Mishnah doesn't actually have these words. Mishnah just says the woman would say, and it quotes a, a whole, whole, whole sentence that they would say. Uh, this Baraita is saying, no, that they didn't all say the whole thing. Each group of women said something different. Depending on their what qualities they want to emphasize. The beautiful ones would say, um, hey, uh, to, to say to the say to the guys, hey, look at look at the, uh, our beauty, because a woman is only there to be beautiful. Those who were not so beautiful, but they had good yichus, they had a good a good family that they came from. They would say, look at my family lineage. After all, a wife is just for children, and you want to have your children be from this, this special line. Those who were really not good looking, what would they say? I guess they didn't have lineage either. So they said, You should take uh, t- take a wife, the Shem Shamayim, not for any ex- uh, uh, ulterior motive, not for beauty, not for reputation of a family, right? Just do the mitzvah. On condition that you adorn us with gold. In other words, you know, don't worry, even if uh, she doesn't look so great, if you give her enough jewelry, right, you'll adorn her, she'll look very beautiful. So that's a way of getting some, some uh, extra, uh, extra jewelry into the, um, into the dowry. 
Amar Ola Bira'a Amar Rebi El Azar Atida Kadosh Baruchu Lasot Machol Sadikim Puyoshe Benehen Began Aiden Behol Echad Behad Mar Ebes Paosh and Emar Bamar Bayomahu Hine Elohenu Ze Kivinu Loviosirenu Ze Adonai Kivinu Lo Nagila Mismecha Bishu Ato. So it says in the future, um, the Kadosh Baruchu will make a, 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 a dance for the Sadiqim. And so we're, we're going from, from this dance of the woman and we're leading, we're juxtaposing that uh, with a dance between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the Sadiqim. And this, of course, reminds us of the imagery of, of Shir Hashirim, of uh, the love between Hashem and Bnei Israel being like that of a love between a man and a woman. And therefore, uh, symbolically, uh, they, they, um, the, everybody, all the Sadiqim will be dancing and Hashem will be sitting with them in Gan Eden. Of course, Rambam says, don't take this literally because then you're going to say Hashem is sitting in the middle of a dance. Uh, you know, that is impossible. Um, but rather, in the figurative way, it's, it's reflecting uh, the great intimacy and love that will be an, and, 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 and high degree of spirituality that they will feel and uh, experience. And each one will be pointing with his finger and saying on that day, this, this, behold, this is our God for whom we have waited uh, that he may, may save us, right? It's been a long time in exile and persecution, but we waited for him and he saved us. And therefore, we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. A beautiful ending to a whole Masechet about uh, torture and waiting for rain and Avelut over the destruction of the Bet HaMikdash. But all that, all that is preparation that if we do that work and we mourn properly and we make Teshuvah, then we should all uh, merit to uh, rejoice with its redemption and rebuilding. Chazakim uberuchim, hadran alach b'shilosha perakim, and uh, we're all invited to make an official siyum tomorrow. Baruch Adonai leolam, amen ve'amen.